0: You have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 3. We're in a sermon series titled, What Does It Mean to Follow Jesus? And um, as I said last week, we covered uh, this contact that Jesus had with the scribes and then with his family. And his family is what we're going to be focusing on here today. There's um, actually a, a gripping account that was written... By the woman who it happened to. Her name is Perpetua. And it happened around 200 AD, and she lived in northern Africa. She was a recent convert. She was a young woman who just had a baby. She was still nursing her child. And she was imprisoned for her faith. And she kept a diary of her experiences. And then as she got let off into the arena to be killed, somebody picked that up, the story. And it has survived here these two thousand years for us to know about. It's very gripping, it's actually a very hard story to read. Perpetua and her friend, who are both young mothers, come into the arena. their breasts are still dripping with milk, and they're subject to wild animals being tossing them around the arena, and they're bruised and broken and bitten. And finally, a gladiator comes and takes the sword out and hits Perpetua and just drives the sword into her bone It doesn't kill her. So she takes the sword herself and puts it at her throat so the gladiator wouldn't miss the next time. And so you have this very difficult event here. And, of course, this is an event that had happened before. And the father of Perpetua was very um, distressed, as you might be if your daughter was in prison for this. And he comes to her and he's pleading with his daughter. Please just say you're not a Christian just for a moment. I mean, we can just relieve some of this. You can get out of jail. And uh, he, she says, Dad. And she looks around for some sort of object lesson and she sees this little water pot on a stand. And she says, what is that? And she, he says, that's a water pot. And she says, could it be called anything else? No, couldn't be called anything else. I'm a Christian, Dad. When you look at me, I couldn't be called anything else. And his response is, he wants to seize her. She, he, he says, he he was like a man possessed coming at me, and then he just relents. And then just before exec, execution, he comes in a different sort of a pleading way He's holding her hand. He's at her feet. He's kissing her saying, what about me? What about your mom? What about your child who might not survive if you die? Well, that's a uh, situation that none of us would volunteer to be involved with. But it's really in some ways not very much unlike what's happening here in the text the people are trying to distract the disciples from who Jesus is. See, Jesus has called his twelve disciples, and he's purposefully brought them back down into this city that they've been in before, Capernaum. It's on the Sea of Galilee. And they go to a home, and so many people are in this home, they can't even eat. And you have these different uh groups here. You have the scribes that we talked about last week, the professors of theology, the religious elite, and they're trying to distract the disciples from saying, He's not really who he says he is. He's from Satan. He's a liar. And then you have the family coming, boy, they know Jesus. They've spent thirty years with him and they're saying, Well no, 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 he's not a liar. He's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. And the whole purpose of this, Christ has brought his new recruits back to this particular place to say, guys, this is the fundamental question in your faith. Are you going to get distracted when somebody comes and pleads when a wild animal comes, when a family member comes, when somebody from the religious elite comes and says, no, he's not who he says he was, are you going to get your head turned? Who's in control? Who's master? Who gets to decide? That's the whole point of this text here. And so we look here at this crowded house, and we see in a pretty big uh, display, and I think Mark is intentional of this in verse 31, the mother and brothers of Jesus have come to Capernaum, and they're standing outside. The people who might be closest to Jesus are really on the outside. It's the same thing with the religious leaders. You would think they would be closest to Jesus. They know the information, and yet they're on on the outside. The family of Christ standing outside. And I want to look today at the comment and the intentions of those who are standing on the outside, and then the marks in the life of an insider. Let's look at the comment that they make and their intention. Those who are on the outside and then the marks of the life of an insider. First, let's look at verse 20. Uh, 20. When he went home, just as Jesus, he's going back to Capernaum, which was his home as an adult, and the crowd gathered again so that he could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. Now, I think that when Jesus must have heard this, I mean, I don't know if he was just completely frustrated or just so much frustration he he must have laughed. Because here's his family, and they're saying he's out of his mind. That in the Greek means he's been displaced. He's out of position. <laughs> I, think, I think if Jesus is saying... I'll tell you who's out of position. I'll tell you who's been displaced. I'll tell you who's out of their mind. It's not me. You see what's happening here? The creature is telling the Creator, you're out of position. Here, let me help you define who you are. And Jesus must have been, how do I help these people see that they're the ones that have been displaced, that they're the ones that are out of position? And the whole purpose of me coming is to get you right in the right position. And yet their comment is, no, he's the one that's wrong. He's the one that's been displaced. He's the one that's out of position. He's out of his mind. And then their intention. Look at what it says. Look at what it says in the text. This is what their intention was. They had heard about all these things Jesus had done. And what he had said, and their intention was to seize him or to take control, it might say, which means to be the master of or to perfect or complete, to seize or to take control. That's their intention. The people who are on the outside are going to take control. They're going to perfect what they see in Christ. And so we might say a common characteristic of those who are on the outside is to be the master. And see, that's exactly what Jesus has brought his disciples into. He's, he's brought them into this situation and he's said, okay, guys, who's going to be the master? Who's going to be in ultimate control? Is it going to be the family? Are they going to determine everything? Is it going to be the religious elite? Are they going to determine everything? Do you just get to decide who gets to determine everything? Or is it me, Jesus Christ? Who are you going to keep your head focused on here? Who are you going to believe? And I don't think the question is quickly answerable in the text. I don't think it's quickly answered even in our own lives. We would want to say, oh, I've got my attention focused on Christ. I I, I do not have uh, an intention to have my head turned. But if you look through your life, if you look through Mark, you'll see Christ keeps coming back to the same thing. It's as if, as, if, as if the disciples easily get their head turned and he puts them in a situation to say, Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Hey, don't get your eyes off me. That's the whole thing. You've got to keep your eyes on Christ. Remember in Mark chapter 4 and 5, Christ takes his disciples on a little journey across the lake, right? And in the middle of it, there's this great storm, and he stands up and calms the storm. And then when they get to the other side, they meet this naked man running from the graveyard, the tombs, screaming at them. And he casts the the demons, the legion, the the many demons out of this man, and he's placed back into his right mind. Now, what was the reaction of the disciples to the calming of the water? It was the same reaction of the townspeople to the calming of the man. What would you immediately think would be your reaction? Relief. I mean, I thought I was going overboard, and here he stood up and he calmed the ocean. Or, we've been trying to bury relatives out here all the time, and every time we come out, this wild man who has no clothes on is all over us, and thank you for taking care of that man. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that would be the natural reaction? But it's not. The reaction, in both cases, is terror. Why is that? Why is it terrifying That Christ controls the winds and the waves. Why is it terrifying that he controls every external event? Why is it terrifying that he controls every internal event? You see, he's completely in control. And I think that when we really get in touch with that, when we really understand he is in complete control... For those who want to be master, it's terrifying. So those on the outside want to be in control. And Christ is saying, no, I'm in control. Remember, remember Peter later on in the book, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 8 or Mark chapter 10. Peter hears Jesus's future plan, which includes suffering. And he tries to take control. Oh, Christ, that's, that's really not the best plan. I mean, I see what you have in mind, but I need to shape that. I need to perfect that plan, Christ. So here, here's my advice. Here's really the way we should go. Have you ever done that? Oh, I see the way you're going, but gosh, you're so lucky, God. I can be in control of part of it, and I can help shape it in some way. I can be... The master of it. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. See, you have something else in mind. Your mind has been displaced. It's no longer thinking right. You have to trust me and me alone. So the cross is the way to go. Trust me, Peter. That's the way you're going to have to go. And you're going to have to trust me to keep your eyes focused on me all of the time. And Jesus calls his disciples together in a little huddle after this event. And he says, look, if anyone wants to come after me, if any of you guys really want to follow me, and they're all leaning in. If you really want to be in the right position. The very first step is to deny yourself. The very first step is to say, I'm just not going to have to be in control. Then you're in the right position. Then you've got your eyes focused on me. Mark chapter 14. The scribes here in the house are now at the cross and they come across Jesus at the cross. And this is what they say. We'll believe in you if you come down from the cross. This is how I'm going to believe when you bring yourself down off that cross. I will believe who's in control. You see, they're trying to control the way of their own salvation. I'm going to believe when these things happen, I've got to be the master. I've got to be the person who's in control. I've got to decide how that happens. And so we're in this room in Capernaum, and we're right at the very beginning of this discipleship journey. And Christ purposely brings them into this difficult, pressured situation to ask them, Who's in control? Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to keep your eyes focused on? It's the same question our culture asks of us. I was watching on an Internet site this week a little clip from the Oprah show. I say all that because I want you to make sure that I don't watch the Oprah show on afternoons. I just happen to run across this little clip So I'm watching this little clip. It's very fascinating. And, of course, I'm only seeing a couple of minutes of it, maybe. And they were having some sort of discussion about spirituality. And it was all kind of um, cloudy, you know, movement toward the light, toward God. It just wasn't very specific. And there was some conversation about that. And there are, uh, according to Oprah, these millions of ways to define humanity. And um, she says, there couldn't possibly just be one way to God. And there's this sort of general acknowledgement. You kind of see the people in the crowd going, that's right, Oprah, that's right. There couldn't possibly be one way to God. And then as if to say she didn't say this, but I put this in her mind, so this wasn't fair. As if to say, if somebody did believe that, then they'd be out of their mind. Because you couldn't possibly have that, and if you did think that, then you'd be out of your mind. And a very brave person in the crowd, I wish I could show it to you, says, what about Jesus? Oh, I wish you could have seen it. It was like the modern day Capernaum right here in front of millions of people. You see, you've got Jesus now just got interjected into the conversation. What about Jesus? And the whole crowd just begins to get in this big fury. What about Jesus, Oprah says. And see, that's it. What about Jesus? That's the question. It's not a question that just happens at Capernaum. It happens in front of millions of people watching the Oprah show. It's like the whole crowd wasn't in a house. the whole crowd was all across America, and they were tuning in, and they were having to walk away decide, "What about Jesus? What do I think about Jesus?" And one person said, "He's the only way. and if you don't believe it, you're all caught in a lie. What a brave thing for this person to have said. Who's the master? Who's in control? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to Oprah? You listening to Doctor Phil? You listen to your parents? You listen to what goes on in your own mind? You listen to the professors? Or are you listening to Christ? That's the question. It gets asked over and over and over again. Well, that's the marks of the life of an outsider, or the comments, or the intention. I think he's out of his mind, and I think he's out of his mind because I would rather be in control. That indicates you're on the outside. Marks of the life of the insider, verse 34. Jesus is looking about those who are sitting around him. Obviously, the disciples are in view here, as well as you know other people in the room. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of God. He is my mother, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will or desire or pleasure of God. You see the contrast? See, the outside person is master. They're gonna seize. They're in control. They please themselves, even in their own salvation. I'll be pleased to believe in you when you do exactly what I say. The person on the inside, his pleasure And his his whole desire is for God. It's not for himself. And you see this contrast really in two different gardens, don't you? You know the story. The Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Are you going to keep your eyes on me, or are you going to live for yourself? And the decision that affects all of us and would have been our decision had we been there is I would rather be master for myself, I'd rather be in control. And then Jesus in another garden. Same kind of decision. Who's going to be in control? Who gets to decide Jesus? And you remember this part in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is there and he cries out, Dad. He uses that term, Abba, Father, Dad or Daddy. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Not demanding, but pleading. I don't like the plan. That's not what I want. And it's possible because everything is possible for you for some other direction to take place. So please, would you please... Take it away. And then there's this eternal pause. We're all waiting to see what Christ is going to do. And he says the thing that we can all shout about. But see, not my will. It's just not about me anymore. It's about you, God, and whatever you desire, that's my pleasure. I'm not taking away what I want. I'm just saying it's subordinate to what you want. You may have some real wants, and they may look right, but they have to be subordinate to what God wants. And so you can come to God and say, God, please, this is what I want. But I will be faithful to your pleasure in your desire no matter what. Your will to be done, not my own. And so that leaves us with the question, how do we get from one garden to the other? How do we get from the outside of being master to the inside? How do we get from my will to thy will? I'm not going to answer that right now. I'll let you sit on that for a minute. Second mark, the life of an insider or a disciple is being a, a part of a new community. See, there's this new family that's getting formed. I don't think we can appreciate how difficult a statement this must have been for Mary who stood outside the door. I'm not your mother. I mean, that must have been a very painful moment in the in, in a society that was so family-dominated, your entire identity came out of your family. And here Jesus is creating an obvious separation here to say, I'm creating a whole new family. He's saying, I think, that my identity now is not going to be wrapped around my family. Everybody's identity must now revolve around me. It's like the solar system. He is setting himself up as the center. He's at the very center and everything must revolve around Christ. My identity now no, is no longer wrapped up in my family. I'm here at the very beginning of my ministry saying, everyone has to look at me. Everyone, mother, mother. Brother or anybody else must now revolve their lives completely around me. It wasn't about what family you were in. It wasn't about being Jewish or Gentile. It wasn't about being a slave or a free person. It wasn't being about being a male or female. None of those things anymore determined your identity. Back in the New Testament times, that determined your identity: whether you were slave or free, whether you were Jew or Gentile. And he's saying, there's a new community, I'm at the very center of it, and everything now must revolve around me. And whoever revolves themselves around Christ is in this new community. They're my brothers. They're my sister. They're my mother. This is really a part of God's salvation history, creating this new community. And we could go back and look at several things, and I just want to mention a couple of them to you. When Abraham was called, he was called to create a new family. You remember, God had to intervene supernaturally, miraculously, in order for that to happen. How did he do that? Isaac. Remember Sarah and Abraham? They were 90 to 100 years old. And God had to come back and say, "No, well, I'm going to start a new family And I'm starting it by miraculously coming into space and time and giving Isaac so a new family bearing my name would be able to go forward. In Moses, God has to miraculously intervene and bring the Israelites or the Hebrews out of Egypt. He has to miraculously intervene. But for what purpose? Now, not not just a family, a whole nation. I'm trying to build a whole nation now that's revolved around me. And now Christ, he's come into the picture. This new Moses, the one that's greater than Moses, has entered our world. And for what purpose? Why has Jesus Christ come into this world? Here's what I think most of us would say. To forgive me. To save me from my sins? To take me to heaven? That's part of it. But why? To create a whole new community. And one now that's not defined by a nation. It's all over the world. It's all over from space-time. So it's no longer Jew-Gentile. It's no longer slave-free. It's no longer male-female. I, the means to an end. The means is your salvation. To what end? A whole new community. But we live in a society that's very individualistic in its thinking. Deni today has been saved to be a part of a whole new community. Not just for herself. I'm not trying to deny that. I'm not trying to deny that for myself or you. I'm just saying that's the means. But to what end? To create a whole new community. And the church is supposed to offer a little picture of that community as people come in from the outside. You see, what they want to say is outside there still is slave and free. Outside there still is male and female. Outside there still is Jew and Gentile. Outside there still is, and you just name it. It can be race, it can be age, it can be uh soci- social uh communication, it can be uh rich and poor outside, but when I come inside, oh my gosh. Everybody, rich and poor. Everybody, black and white, everybody, Jew and Gentile, everybody, male and female, they've all oriented themselves around one person, Jesus Christ. I'm stunned by it. I can't believe it. He has saved us to be a part of this great community so that we can have this great impact on the whole world. Now, the disciples didn't get this, and so we're struggling with it still ourselves. Remember the disciples, they were supposed to stay in the upper room until the Holy Spirit came down on them. And then once the Holy Spirit came down on them, they were supposed to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And where did they go? They just went to Jerusalem. (laughs) They just hung out with the people that they know. That was their comfort zone. And what did it take for the church to get outside of that little circle? The death of Stephen. Stephen. Stephen died, and then the church became persecuted. And that suffering created jumping boundaries into Samaria, jumping boundaries into Africa, jumping boundaries into Asia. See, it was never for this little thing. It was always to be jumping these boundaries out so the whole world would know whoever does the will of God can be a part of this new community. And I love this passage in Acts 16. Paul goes to Philippi. You know this passage? He goes to Philippi as a Jewish man who would probably prayed this prayer. Lord, I'm glad you didn't make me a woman. I'm glad you didn't make me a slave. I'm glad you didn't make me a Gentile. And what does he go? And who are the first three converts in Philippi? A businesswoman named Lydia. A demon-possessed slave girl. A Roman soldier. You see the little... I mean, you see how God's saying to Paul, See how much grander it is? It's just not about you guys. It's about you being a community for the whole world to come in and say, Everybody now, everybody, no matter where you are, You circle around Christ. Is he at the very center? See, that's the question that gets asked right here in Mark chapter 3. And this is the question that gets asked in Oprah. And this is the question that gets asked right here. And it gets the question that gets asked when you have lunch today. Is he still at the very center? Is he in absolute control? There's really no better place to end this than right here at the table. Because what you're saying when you come forward is you're saying, I'm not in control. I'm not the master. I'm coming to the master. I'm struggling with that. You can be struggling with it. But when you come forward, you're saying Not just to me, but to everybody here. To anybody who might be watching. They're watching you and they're making this conclusion. They've given up. They've given up control. And not only that, they're part of a great community. It's like we get a few moments today to sit around one great round table. And we're all going to share off one loaf. See, we're part of something. You're not coming up just as an individual. You're coming up as a community. We always need to take a few moments just to sit quietly before the Lord. And I really want you to ask yourselves those questions. Are are you coming saying, I'm, I'm giving up control? It's not about me. I'm not the master anymore. and, And am I coming to be a part of a community? You see, so often this is what happens in church. I'm coming for inspiration. So I leave and if I get inspired, great. Good music, got inspired. Good teaching, I got some information. But I never got any transformation because I'm not a part of a community. I'm just one person who comes in, I receive something and I go out. If you, if your life isn't being transformed, you're not a part of a community. You're just one person who's centered themselves around themselves. And you may be fooling yourself. You may be thinking you're on the inside and really you're on the outside. Have you given up control? Have you become part of the community? On the night Christ was betrayed, he's sitting around a table. And in some way, this is my body. I'm at the very center of all of life. And if you want life, if you want bread that never ends, come. Deny yourself and come. And he takes the wine and he pours it and he says, this is a new covenant. You hear that language? It's a new covenant. It's not a, it's not just between me and you. It's a new covenant between me and my people, my new community. Have you given up control? Are you ready to be transformed? into his likeness in community, then you come. I'll ask the elders to come up. Music will play. Just take a moment to think about that. And then this is what I'd like for you to do. I, I don't really want a line that goes way out. I'd rather the line not get past the last row there. And the reason for that is I want you to look at the people that are coming up. You're a part of that community. They're a part of your community. Pray for them. And they'll be praying for you.